Hyperion depicts an incident of sexual assault. You can find a relevant timestamp in the episode description. Anomalous Readings, I'm Nora, joined by Jackson. Hello. Did you read anything this last month? No, I, this? I, I, I read Hyperion. I, 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 I don't have time to read other books beyond <laughs> the books we're doing for the podcast and the other six podcasts we all do. I'm sorry, that's just my life. I also, I started several books in the last uh, month or two, but I haven't finished any of them except Hyperion. So, you know. That's how it is sometimes. That's how it goes. Uh, Hyperion, 1989, written by Dan Simmons. The first of the Hyperion Cantos, which is a four-book series. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this is sort of set up into six parts, and it is about seven guys who have to go on this sort of pilgrimage uh, on a weird-ass planet. And each of them, in turn, tells the story of why they wanted to come back to Hyperion and agree to do this pilgrimage for what might be the end of... the end of days, I guess? <clears throat> Probably not. We got three more books. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? Um, and that's what the bulk, the bulk of the book is those stories and then some short, some shorter scenes as they move through the environments. And so it's a lot about the characters. Yeah. Um, the first one is the priest's tale, the man who cried God, where, um, Lenar Hoyt is our guy now. He tells the story of Paul DeRay, an older... Uh, <clears throat> what is it? I guess priest I don't know what yeah, Catholic priest yeah Catholic priest uh, Catholic um, is a reference to a very old religion from old earth that not a lot of people know about anymore um, he goes to Hyperion to find this group of people living there and they're really weird they're called the four score and ten is that right Three score and ten. Three seventy score. of them. <clears throat> I don't know what a score is. It's twenty. Good to know. Um, they're weird, and they seem to. Uh, what are they, What is their deal? They're like, they're just weird little guys, and they don't seem like capable of learning or thinking about time or anything like this. Uh, and he finds out that they each have a cross shape on them. That is this weird parasite, and whenever they die, uh, it sort of 
brings them and re- back and regenerates their body uh, and they've been living here for like hundreds of years um, then he goes uh, and <clears throat> he gets one of the crosses put in him and tries to get rid of it and it won't let him yep um, and so he's coming to Hyperium uh, I was still talking about Duray but that is also what happens to Hoyt Oh, yeah, I mean, Duray does get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, Duray uh, crucifies himself to a Tesla tree, which is a tree that shoots lightning, um, and the pain keeps the, the cruciform at bay enough so when Lenar Hoyt eventually comes down and finds it, he's able to take it off of Duray, and Duray can die. Uh, but then he has a cruciform. I think he has two. Yeah, he has, two, he has one on the front and one on the back, and that's why he's... Um, always in pain in our modern day stories yes because uh, <clears throat> the crucifone does not like to uh like go on journeys it like has a will that it exerts over you yeah. and we'll get into stories uh, like the individual stories later i guess or do you want to like go through them now because it's basically a book of six short stories yeah sure um yeah, let's talk about this one first then, because uh, yeah, they're, they're going to Hyperion on this weird, <laughs> weird, weird quest. And the uh, the world's a little vague. You kind of fill in the details of the world uh, through these diff- six different perspectives on it. Um, but what we know for this one is it's like uh, the hegemony is is the for you know the Earth Empire basically or the Human Empire, let's say, uh, and they've got like a web, an internet. The anything that's it's like a death stranding. It's like a death stranding. Uh and the anything that is connected to this web, uh you can like walk there. Uh it's like Death Stranding if everyone had Stargates. Yeah. It, it can just like connect places in space. Uh which means that like having an actual starship is a real luxury because it's mostly just infrastructure that connects everything. People will have um, like houses where each room is on a different planet because they just portal through the doorways. Yeah, and so we have six people on this like uh, pilgrimage to Hyperion, uh, and it's kind of vague. They got to go see the Shrike, and it's kind of vague what that is, other than it's like a weird, terrifying thing that is worshipped and grants wishes, but is also going to kill them. Um, and so that's like the context we get as we are uh, watching them take the journey. And yeah, so that's the, the pre story is about the uh, like I said about the cruise forms. Uh, I thought this one was pretty good of the stories. Oh, uh, yeah. It wasn't like my favorite one, um, but was... I did quite enjoy it. When I finished this one, I was like, "Damn, okay, let's see what else this book has." <laughs> uh, I thought the the like, I mean, it's it's all done. This one's done in like an uh, epistolary form. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like his journal. Um, and does some fun things with the journal. He starts getting sick and starts Resident Evil writing for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Itchy tasty. <laughs> um, but he then gets over that and it's fine. Yeah, it's actually fine. Because <laughs> like, you're like, oh, is he, he going to get affected by that? No. He does get really mad at that one lady with the tits. A lot of because, tits in this book. Because while he's sick, he's convinced that this woman is trying to seduce him away from God or something. But then that fever passes and he's like, oh, I'm normal again. <laughs> yes he is like she's so fucking hot and like nursing me back to health and everyone else here hates me but she's tempting me she's tempting me that harlot and i'm like <laughs> okay dude and then he just leaves he's like i it was weird I'm like yeah well, you were being fucking weird to her while you were <laughs> sick whatever you're a weird guy <laughs> uh yeah and then he finds the bikura and um finds this weird cruciform parasite and there's a lot of like 
they keep saying like, "Are they of? Are you of the cross?" To him, and he says, "Yes, I'm." Like thinking he means like a Christian, right? Mm. Uh, and he says, "I'm of the cross," but they keep reading that like because everyone's communicating through uh, like a chip that works as a universal translator, and to them, saying "of the cross" and uh, like ha- having the cruciform are the same thing. They think he means he's infected with the cruciform because they they kill his like companion. Um, he dies the true death. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, not the full death of taking to the team and being rebuilt. Uh, and yeah, it all builds up to the uh, incredibly cool ending of him crucifying himself in eternal pain for like seven years. I guess it's not eternal, but he the reveal is that he was still alive when Hoyt found him. Yeah, and then he's he um, he like looks up at him and then just dies. Yes, he, he smiles because he can set. Yeah, he can be set three, and it's like it's a pretty good one of the um like, uh, classic sci-fi trope of people want immortality, but the immortality takes away the joy of life because the vision of immortality is it's like being owned by a parasite that has no like none of the human concepts we know, um, and that they barely seem to care about time or understand emotions. They just kind of go through their routines forever in this like stagnant present. Um, which is often an idea I find a little rote because uh, I feel like it's uh, it's cope it's cope it would actually be super sick to be immortal. <laughs> it would be um, sick to be immortal if you're not also being mind controlled. Yes, I see the two things very very distinct. I think this is um, a decent one of these. Is it like you know it's mostly about the weird like parasite uh, yeah. and also about like. It's very earnest about the religious stuff in this book. I was kind of nervous at the start as, as it was introducing all these religious characters, but in like the far space future and religion's a different thing, man. And I was like, oh, he's going to go like weird arse atheism about it because we're going to get a lot of that in sci-fi books. Oh, uh, yeah. But no, it's actually like very earnest about what it means to be religious um, in, the, in the far future. Uh, and I think all that stuff works really well. Yeah, we'll get more into that in a couple more stories. Uh, yeah, but I thought this was a good introduction. <clears throat> Then we get uh, the soldier's tale, the war lovers. Have you ever been horny? Have you ever been... Not like this. So horny. (laughs) Not like this, man. I've been horny before, but not like this. Colonel Fedman Kassad is a force uh, soldier. He's training in simulations of historical battles, both from our current history and future history. They love to do that. They love to do the, like, uh, here's two names of guys we know, and then a new guy that we've made up from the future. Yeah, that's, they do that with um, something else later, too. I can't remember. I, it might be a poet. With a million different things. They did it so the time. Yeah, they did it with the poets. Uh, they did it so much. Um, but each time he goes into a simulation, he ends up meeting this woman, and they have sex a lot. And he's in love. A lot. Like a lot, a lot. Like a lot, a lot. (laughs) And um, he's like, ah, who are you? Are you real? Uh, And she's like, yeah, probably. Uh, Eventually, he is in a. um, He has a long military career, he becomes very infamous. And he is eventually stranded on the Hyperion, where he meets up with this woman outside of a simulation. He sees uh, the Shrike. He sees the Tree of Pain that the Shrike puts uh, victims onto. 
and uh, he uses some time powers to kill a bunch of ousters. And uh, what happens after that? Oh, he, he goes home eventually and becomes an anti-war guy. But there's a few things because basically the Shrike are like manipulating him and he right, basically he's does. The shrike. I forgot. Yeah, he's fucking the Shrike and he like does so much murder that it's like starts the war with the ousters. Yes. Um, and he becomes like known. Oh, the murder becomes really famous as like this legendary. Like he goes Anakin Skywalker mode basically. Yeah. Uh, not just the men, but the women and children too. And he's so horny that he starts doing all this murder. Um, and feels really bad about this and like tries to stop the war uh but the propaganda like erases his neck like it, it's no longer about how evil he is it's just about the like ouster war and so he gets forgotten even though he was technically the cause of the war um and then the like shrike tries to fuck him to death but he pushes her off before the like metal claws can slam his dick off uh and there's genuinely a scene where he's like fucking the evil robot that's trying to kill him as it's like making him come but killing him but he like manages to get her off and it's like he put her off was still ejaculating and I'm like this is cartoonish like it's literally cartoonish like what is happening here this stuff is stupid sometimes this book is dumbass horny in a way that's just like what are you doing Uh, this book is so obsessed with coming like so much this book is all about coming um, there's I'm, not just this, but like later on, there's a whole bunch of like coming is also a metaphor all the time because you know it's the togetherness and the unquenchable urge and the everything. And I'm like, man, find another metaphor than coming, please. I, I really like this book mostly, but I do have to roast it for this specific thing. It's kind of goofy. <laughs> it's kind of goofy. The the image, the cartoon imagery of like, oh, <laughs> he pushed off the violent uh, woman who was trying to kill him by extracting all his energy and cutting off his dick or whatever, uh, but couldn't like stop ejaculating. It's just like, <laughs> I can't see that. I can't physically, I mean, not to gross people out, I guess I'll put a content one in this episode, for, for, but like, when I get, hear that described, I don't see an actual person going through like a dramatic, like sexual assault. I see a cartoon. I see a cartoon. It's a cartoon joke. Oh, I pulled it out, but he kept going square. You know, like it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so unimaginably stupid that I can't take it like emotionally seriously in this movie. In this book about like uh, being sexually manipulated by uh, an evil alien god. <laughs> I just can't take <laughs> from, that imagery seriously. I'm sorry, future. Dan. From the future, yes. I'm sorry, Dan. I can't do that. I'm sorry. Um just checking to see if dan simmons uh yeah okay he's not i was wondering if he was super old and he's not super old but he's he's old um he's he's still around he's still writing yeah the third chapter is the poet's tale hyperion cantos we get martin silenus who grew up on old earth before a black hole uh destroyed it he through a series of both, like, oh, one detail about the the army guy is that they at one point they send him. This is when he gets stranded on Hyperion. They send him yes. home through the slower space travel, so that by the time he gets back, he won't be in the news anymore because he was so controversial. Because <laughs> uh, he did all that murder. A lot of this book is about the like way society changes when fast and light travel means everyone's getting time dilated constantly. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, speaking of which, Silenus has a lot of long journeys, both slower than light and faster than light. So he's been around for a long time. He has experiences in multiple centuries um, over time. And he's, he's a poet. <clears throat> he was raised on Earth with these this like um like maids and his his mother i guess they used to be very wealthy and now they're starting to like lose their shit uh lose their finances and everything and so he gets shipped off and um i think it just is it just that it takes forever and like that's why his brain stopped working well it takes forever and he's also going through like he's not been put in the protect protection right like he's uh in the fugue for too long and unprotected um and so he has a stroke while he's un- underneath but he is like lucky in that he survives comes out and he can only say like seven swear words yep that's all he can um, say and so you get a real long time of how much language and meaning you can get out of like uh shit piss fuck cunt poo poo pee pee uh <laughs> And by God, did he try to get a lot of out of that? Uh, this is the worst of the short stories, and, for some, and this isn't even the worst. This isn't even the bad part of it. This part it's like stupid, but the like dumb stuff I think is stupid and actually bad is yet to come. Um, he slowly tries to uh, sort of rebuild his his language skills and sort of think through a lot of things again, and he starts to. Um, like teach himself again how to how to write and he he goes back to like writing poetry and stuff he gets this thing written the dying earth uh same title as the jack vance novel um uh that there's like a joke about that but it's very popular and then he has to turn it into like a um a trashy like serial and he hates that and he eventually quits and goes to a planet oh this is hyperion <clears throat> he goes to hyperion forms like a uh the like vanitary uh the vanity like artist's kingdom with weird king billy he's just like a weirdo but he does like his book so he likes him yeah said king billy is a he's in the the Something Windsor in Exile. He's like uh, he's like a king guy. He's on Hyperion. He, it's it's called Poet's World before Hyperion because he's there. He's the patron to a bunch of like artist guys. Um, yes, which is why when like because uh, the, all these stories are being told of the journeying through Hyperion to get to this pilgrimage. It's why like the city they land on is called Keats, right? Right. Because um, uh, this is like a poet's world uh, just like he said and you because um Manasolinus has lived so long you get to see like the early days through him uh and then there's like a a bit after that where people start disappearing and eventually getting killed by the shrike uh and it's inspiring martin to go back to writing poetry um, but then there's a confrontation with the Shrike and Sad King Billy, where he's telling him to burn the, the burn the poem so that the Shrike will go away, I think. And then he burns the the Shrike instead. 
Uh, the thing he realizes is like the Shrike is his muse. Yes. Or at least he believes that. Um, it's a little unclear because the, the Shrike has just different relations to every person in every form it takes, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is not really... Uh, it doesn't really seem possible at the same time as also the Shrike is time-traveling and manipulating that guy into fuck-murdering everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Those two things don't really cohere. But his vision is like, the Shrike is uh, his muse made flesh and like the ultimate violent... Well, not really, it's, it's like a metal god, but like the ultimate uh, violence of an arrogance of human creativity turned against us is kind of like how he sees the strike. Uh, I think this story sucks balls. I think this one is really bad. <laughs> Why do you not like it? Oh, because when all the, the they're on their phones too much, no one reads any books, and they only they only. <laughs> he does um, become a poster for a while, <laughs> and they only the only books they they buy is so they can have them on their shelf because that only happens once every century. You know, like with the Bible or Mein Kampf, everyone has to have a copy. I'm like, right. what's happening here? The, the, part, the part where they're like, oh, Hitler was a was a politician from old Earth. He did some writing. Like, that's not I found that so deeply disingenuous to the world building of the book because I get why you do that and like all oh, times have changed and so you say that but also like religions are still it, it's like 700 years later we still think things about people from 700 years ago they're still like characters in our lives this is this book takes place further from world war uh, closer to world war 2 than we are from like Attila the Hun right mm-hmm. uh and I wouldn't say, oh, Tell of the Hum was like a general in China who had some opinions on, uh, uh, no, not, not China. He was uh, the Mongols, um, I think. Uh, right? Is that, that the uh, thing? Yeah. I, I don't actually know. I, I mean, you've What's got the right like part of the continent. I just don't know. He's the leader of the Huns. Yeah. I guess just the Huns. Yeah. I, I was like, which one is it? The, the, the I just don't Huns remember. The I, I just can't overlap. map that onto like modern day lines. This is me just being... Um, Yes, no, he's not from Mongolia, so he, he's this is uh he's, he's just from the Huns. He's just the Huns, and he was uh, you know expanding in various areas. Mm-hmm. Sorry, really revealing my ignorance about. Uh, <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know those specific things that they're uh-huh. citing, right? But I do know that Till the Hun was a bad fucking guy who was uh you know rolling roughshod over all of uh, Eurasia, right? That I know. I can uh, tell you so that Charlemagne I'd... killed some people, probably. Right. So I don't. The, the fact it's like knowing the specificities of like Hitler, but they've lost the context of uh, his cultural I- identity uh, makes no sense considering like how much of this book is about earnestly engaging with like what does uh, Judaism look like now? Uh, what's the history there? What's happening to Catholicism? What's happening to like all these cultural ideas? Uh, that bit just rang so hollow and hokey, especially as it's in the middle of they don't be reading because they'd be on their phones. Yeah. Uh, I do like the character of Martin. He's fun because he's he's the mm-hmm. guy who's like um, just talking shit all the time. That's fun for me. But I think it was okay when he was like being kind of like rough uh, mm-hmm. with everyone in the. Um, I liked him more as like a part of the group dynamic. There wasn't actually that much group dynamic because it's all mostly the stories and the, yeah. the uh, Canterbury Tales situation they're going on. Um, 
But I liked him in the group dynamic in the version of this that's just the characters playing off each other uh, bottle episode. But I don't like when it's like, oh, he swears a lot because he had a stroke and all he could say was swears for 500 years. <laughs> I go, okay, whatever. Sure, Dan. Uh, I just thought that this was like a really bad expression of the ideas of this book. I didn't think it was a good example of what this book does. Yeah. That's just me. I was just looking up the... I don't... I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh... No, I don't think it's the river in Alaska. This next section is the scholar's tale. Uh, the river... Letha? I don't. I don't know. Yes. Uh, taste is. That's bitter. a Greek. Oh, it's Greek. Yes, yeah, it's a. It's, yeah. Uh, I also. I would probably say Leith. I guess, but Leith? I have no idea how to pronounce it. Because my instinct was uh, Leta, because German. But that's if it's Greek, then it'll be different. Anyway. Uh, no, it's it's like ancient ancient Greek term. Um, Leithy. What? Leithy. Apparently, it's Leithy. Okay. The river Leithy's taste is bitter. Um, so, Saul Weintraub has a daughter. In the current day, in their pilgrimage, she's a baby. But she used to be an adult. And she used to go uh, do, like, future archaeology stuff. And so she was at the Time Tombs. We haven't said the word Time Tombs yet. The but Time the books, Tombs. The, this book says the word Time Tombs a million times before you even start to know what they are. They're going to the time tombs. Oh, the the, the time tombs have been sealed off. We let we we years ago sealed off access to the time tombs. No one goes to the time tombs anymore. Have you seen the time tombs? Man, <laughs> they love to say time tombs. But you know what? It's cool. <laughs> it's fucking cool. The time tombs are actually moving backward through time. They're moving backwards and forwards through time. Um but what's her name? Rachel Rachel uh, goes to um, the Time Tombs. The Shrike shows up, and uh, Rachel ends up with a disease uh, that causes her to age backwards. They're calling it the Merlin Syndrome, I think. Uh, yes. But it's, it's the Benjamin Button disease. They got Benjamin Button disease. They, they, it is a weird case of, like, uh, what culture do they and don't they have? They don't have Benjamin Button. That got forgotten because the movie was so fucking terrible. <laughs> um but they uh they have merlin they, they have merlin they have merlin but not hitler <laughs> why don't they know oh hitler was just a politician i don't believe you in a million years <laughs> i don't believe you people still want to know who hitler is in the 2700s anyway um at least if like america because like they don't say america in this book but like right. the the earth hegemon is coming out of like American culture one, right? It's a European dominant culture. It's not fucking like, oh, eventually uh, the first world fall and there's this like pan-African civilization going to space or whatever. It's not alternately imagining that because the Earth hegemon is like a metaphor for just like American imperialism generally on Earth. That's what they're doing with the hegemon. That's what they are. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the idea that they forget Hitler is... I don't know why I'm hanging up on this. It's just crazy. Considering what the book's about, it's just ludicrous to me. Why would you... Anyway, carry on with uh, this It just reminds me of that Gundam scene. (laughs) Yes, you're becoming a real Adolf Hitler. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Saul Weintraub. He starts getting these dreams. Like The bulk of the story is about he and his wife just dealing with 
this disease, uh, like living with this person who is slowly aging backwards and losing memories one day at a time because every time she goes to sleep, she forgets. Um, yeah, it's basically every day she wakes up, she thinks it's the day before, but like extended out through time. Yeah. So right after the accident, she thinks it's like a week before uh, the accident. But five years after the accident, she thinks it's five years before the accident. Um, and this creates a whole bunch of problems in life. Yeah. Uh, not the least of which is media attention. Because uh, they become like the focus of this blitz of media that are just like hounding them and asking them like super insensitive prying questions. Um, but Saul starts getting dreams um, where he's ordered to take Rachel to Hyperion and sacrifice her in much the same way Isaac, uh, or Isaac doesn't get the dream. You know what I mean. Uh, Abraham. Abraham is the one who gets told by God to go kill Isaac. Um, and he uh, wrestles with that for a while and starts thinking about, like, why would God say that? Why would God give that command to Abraham? And eventually he decides to go to uh, to to take his daughter to Hyperion and um, go on this pilgrimage. Yeah, he's here to try to get a cure from the Shrike. Because uh, the Shrike is here to grant wishes, but also there's seven people who are meant to go on a pilgrimage and it'll only grant one. The others get killed, yeah. is this the legend. Um, so, like... The, the book kind of has a structure of like which one's going to be chosen uh, <laughs> as you go through and you see uh, all these stories. Not really quite how it goes, but uh, that is like kind of the framing device. Anyway, this part, uh, this part four story, the Scholar's Tale. I thought this was utterly fantastic. This oh, this yeah. short story is incredible. Absolutely, the highlight of the book. It's fucking inc- it's fucking amazing. Uh, I, I like, might like oh. the next one more because of how stupid it is, but this one is fucking <laughs> good. <laughs> the next one's also good, but in a very different way. This one's just like so uh committed to this like spiritual crisis and retelling of like the crisis of faith that comes from abraham being asked to sacrifice himself uh, sacrifice his kid to god and like what that means as a metaphor mm-hmm. right uh and especially as it like because of the um because of the conceit so, like sci-fi conceit of the story and the aging backwards he has to wrestle with this idea for like 25 years yeah uh, I guess it's more twenty. You know, I don't exactly know exactly how long it is, but it is it is her entire life in reverse. He's like dealing with this idea, um, and he really only comes to sacrifice her because like she's she's going. He doesn't know what's going to happen when she hits zero, right? Like where will she go? How like how did the non aging? Would she just cease to exist? Uh, no one really really understands that part, but um, the, the like wrestling with this um, spiritual question is, I think, done very very well i think it's uh, extremely um concerned about it uh like i say i was so expecting way more like as we went into the future we invented the super internet and people stopped caring about god but then we built our own god in the machine there's like a bit of that with the technocore and stuff um but it uses that mostly to like examine like earnest engagement with religion and not uh sneering <laughs> yeah like, oh like the yeah. other fan, the other sci-fi conceit here is that earth is gone and yes we spend a lot of time in this chapter with various members of different jewish communities throughout the stars and like we get little hints of like 
what what is that relationship like now that like you know earth is dead and gone there's um, an incredible scene where like so this guy is is a, a jewish professor right and he is jewish both culturally and religiously um but then his kid you know rachel starts asking him like why are you Jewish? And he goes, well, I, I am. It doesn't mean what it used to mean, but I guess I am Jewish. And then she asks him, like, well, am I Jewish? And he's like, doesn't, he just genuinely doesn't know how to answer. Like, the cultural framework uh, just isn't there for him to understand, like, you know, because they're not, it's not like he's living in one of the, um, I actually don't remember exactly where he's living at this point, but he's not necessarily, he's not like super in like, I'm in one of the Orthodox Jewish worlds. And so that like, like very strong culturally there, right? He's just in a place, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's mostly like just her, his daughter, uh, who's talking to, especially cause this thing happens. Uh, and like him having to like figure out, like, I mean, I'm not going to keep it from her, but I also don't know how, how to like, I don't know. I don't, he does. He genuinely doesn't know how to like pass that on without it feeling fake. Cause he's also like kind of questioning in his own religious convictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the wrestling with that is just so meaty and good. I was like, mm, this is, this is excellent. I'm, I'm, uh, I really, I really liked it. I, I thought it was like. Uh, so thoughtful and also just like the reverse aging stuff is done so well because i i hate the movie bedroom button it's fucking bad <laughs> i've never seen um, it but i knew that you hated it <laughs> it's bad it's a bad movie it's a terrible movie i know the short story as well i don't know about that but this isn't actually about the like reverse aging stuff really it's mostly about um i mean it's it's, it's mostly about dementia i'm not gonna lie it's mostly it, it is a pretty direct metaphor for caring for someone uh who's starting to forget things um and it is heartbreaking i don't know it just really hit me yeah. it's really good yeah um after that we go back to being horny oh yes for <laughs> uh, two more stuff Two, oh, yeah. So, the six right. stories, and let's say a solid half of them are the horniest thing you've ever read. <laughs> um, the, um, the scholar, the priest, uh, they're not very horny. Everyone else? No. So this is the detective's tale, the long goodbye. Oh, right. I forgot the part where the poet, like, because he's rich gets like super surgery to become so good at fucking that every single person wants to right. fuck him specifically. Martin Silenus <laughs> became a literal satyr with yes. like hooves and a huge cock. Um, and everyone wanted him because he became, oh, yeah. he like biohacked himself to be like the fuck devil. <laughs> He's the fuck devil. This book's so stupid. And then literally like 20 pages later, it's like the deeply earnest examination of like religious, uh, you know, uh, crisis uh, and losing your daughter. Um, this kind of, the things back to back to back in this book are very funny. Um, the other thing before we move on, real quick, um, in the in part four, we also get the part where um, they look up on their pilgrimage and they see the the tree ship that had brought them to Hyperion it gets blown up in the sky, and uh, one of their members, Hetmastine the uh, true voice of the tree uh, is just disappears. Yeah, he just disappears. Wonder what's going on with him. I don't know. We don't find out in this fucking book. Yeah, read another book, maybe. <laughs> uh, that's why yeah. there are six chapters when there are supposed to be seven characters. And it's like, in the in the prologue, it's like a super reveal, like, I'm Hepmastine, I'm also going with you. And you're like, oh, I wonder what's up with him. No idea. No fucking, this is bad. I don't know. This, this book's so weird. 
It's very weird. <laughs> it's very fucking weird. Uh, so next we have Bron Lamia, who is a private investigator. She is hired by a cybrid, which is a human-shaped body controlled by, by an AI who lives in the Technocore, which is like a, a an artificial intelligence society that has like separated somewhat from humanity but is still like involved they're like neighbors basically um yes johnny is this guy's name he wants to know who killed him because somebody disrupted his data in some way so that he lost like a couple of days um well he he was killed he came back and rebooted but the way they did that was by like killing him with aids too with aids too i forgot about aids too how could you forget about aids too the sequel to aids (laughs) he wrote his book in 1989 (laughs) that's Um, kind of a bit taste i mean there there are some generally oh taste is not the right word but this this book will definitely throw around like big and kind of I don't know about that ideas uh, in service of like things I find interesting a lot of the time, but we'll definitely be like, I don't know if that's like a thing you just brought into the soup. Um, uh-huh. But it's more, it's usually thoughtful, but that's specifically some like Holocaust imagery in the other, uh, right. in, in yes. the chapter before uh, that it's like used intentionally, um, but it also like frames the thing he's going through in this metaphor as in conversation with decisions made by uh, the like, mothers uh and uh, fathers of children in concentration camps and uh leaves an open question as to like what kind of sacrifice will be required of him if this happened in the past and i was like i'm i'm not quite sure if that holds together as like i'm giving it the benefit of the doubt because i think that story is incredible um but it definitely will like bring in imagery like that and in a way you're like i don't know if this all quite justifies itself and uh one of the more funny ways it does that is when he gets killed with aids too so the thing about Braun is that she is instantly enamored with Johnny in the same way that like the the most like the parody of like a private investigator is the guy who's like I knew she was trouble when she walked in she was all legs and like talking about how hot this woman is that comes to hire him and that happens in like in like reverse here where she's like from minute one, she's like, damn, this guy's pretty hot. But he's, like, beautiful. There's something masculine yet feminine about him at the same time. Uh, yeah, she wants her fanboy robot. <laughs> I was picturing um, the guy from Detroit Become Human. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no! I was not picturing him. I, I was mostly laughing at how, like... This book is so, so horny, but it's very obviously written by a dude. So, like, I don't know what's hot about this guy. He's just, like, so... His aura of sexiness is so powerful. As opposed to, like, when a guy is talking about a woman, it's like, her tits were so fucking perfect, and she was so young, but also kind of old, but also so so fucking big, and she was also wet and sweaty, and I was like... But none of that. When the woman gets to be horny, it's all just, like, vague generalities of what it's like to to see a hot guy. (laughs) No, like, perception of like bodily attraction to dudes it's really funny uh we'll get that back to that in just one second <laughs> um, sure will. so he th- 
thinks that he's being followed by an assassin. And then it turns out that because he's lost his memory, that might be his bodyguard. Uh, but he doesn't know. He eventually... Um, they, there's like a chase scene where uh, Lamia takes... Um, like, is running through all these different Farcasters, all these portals to different planets. And uh, eventually, like, corners the guy. And uh, he explodes. So that's not good. Um, uh, they end up... How did they end up getting to the, the fake Earth? I don't remember how, how they... They end up flee. I think they flee through that... They run away from that crime scene and go to a replica of old Earth and um, Johnny sort of lays out what the deal is with the Technocore, which is that AIs generally fall into three parties. The Stables, the Volatiles, and the... the U-1. I don't remember what I, forget, I, I don't remember what the, the, the I, this is one of the details I don't quite remember because there's a lot of stuff in this book that I didn't remember this bit but I do remember like what's going on the technical generally though I can't help you out in this one case you're trying to get sorry mate uh, anyway there are the AIs who think that we that are the oldest ones from some of them from like what like our modern day now that yes. um, think that we should that the AIs should have some kind of synthesis with humanity uh, there's the volatiles who think that the uh, only way to move forward is to eradicate humanity. And then there's yep. the center group, which uh, are just really concerned with uh, the current project, which is the ultimate intelligence, which is essentially building a god. Uh, Your Honor, these are the Mass Effect 3 choices. <laughs> <laughs> no, because in that Honor, one, it was eradicate all synthetic life form, not eradicate all... Oh, organic. right, but it is fundamentally <laughs> kind of the same three camps on some level. As like, we make Shepard the Ultra God, uh, we completely dominate and control them, or we turn everyone into a weird synthesis. The same thing. <laughs> Sag Mass Effect stole this. Yes. Um, and... Um, there are two possibilities. Either the Shrike is being sent back in time by the volatile AIs as a first strike against humanity, or it's being sent back by the Ousters in retribution for the failure of the extermination of humans at the hands of the volatiles. Or both. Could be both, I guess. Um, yeah. So they're like piling on more completely contradictory visions of what the Shrike is. Yes. Um, they do a uh, a cyber heist. In they do a shadow run, basically to get information. What do they actually go in for? I forgot. Um. I don't remember the specific events, but they like uh, figure out what's going on in terms of like, oh, it's the ultimate intelligence pro project. They're trying to create a god AI um, and uh, Johnny gets killed and uh, puts his consciousness in uh, a little chip. Yeah, in, in Braun's brain, basically. And so uh, it's kind of both of them. 
But also, before he gets killed, he, in the cyberspace, he self-destructs, which feels just like it did when he came, apparently, to They do notice, they do notice that, like, he does, like, come himself to death, but, like, only (laughs) metaphorically, because he does just blow himself up in cyberspace, uh, but she's like, oh, it felt like his orgasm, and the, like, total release, and I'm like, why is this book so obsessed with coming, and no one brought it up? You brought it up, why'd you bring it up? Um... And that is, so what he, so we should explain who Johnny is. Johnny is a sort of, okay, so you know those, the AI thing where they try to expand an image where they like, oh, what was, what was next to the Mona Lisa? That bullshit. They've, they've kind of done that to a person based on feeding a bunch of poetry from this old, um, from Keats. It's literally those AI chatbots that's like, you can go talk to fucking Einstein. <laughs> yes. Uh, but he's a real one of those. Um, and uh, they do that, and but they do it in a full simulation to just, like... The idea is that you, like, simulate a person and then you kind of, like, slip some questions to them within that simulation to like understand how they might react to different things or like how they might like think of different things. But he is now just walking around as John Keats, the poet from history. And he then deletes parts of his memory concerning being, being an AI so that he can be more, John Keats? Yeah, he wants to, like, the thing he finds out is that he was always trying to get the Hyperion to ask the Shrike right, to make yes. him into the real John Keats. Which, by the way, finally, they don't know Hitler, but, like, John Keats is a figure on which history turns in multiple axes. Like, they land in Keats City, and there's the AI of John Keats here. And I'm like, he's not that important. You were a classics major, my dude. I don't know who this is. <laughs> you, okay, you know who John Keats is. Now I'm going back, going back to his life. He is a very famous poet. I I had not heard of him until I read this book. You never heard of John Keats? Okay, no. never mind. I'm back on uh, Dan Simmons' side. <laughs> so when you kept saying Keats, did you just nod and go like that? Must be a guy. Whatever. Yeah, maybe I'm, he's a fake. Maybe he's a fake guy from the future. No, I figured I Google. Well, obviously, it eventually once. throughout this book, it will reveal that. But I don't know when you would know that because you didn't. You know. I think I googled it at some point just to okay. see if there was this painting with like a, a guy, but. I don't know anything about John Keats. Yeah. Um, it sounded real. <laughs> um, anyway, they do a cyberpunk mission where they're all geared up with like big punch arms and like a Gatling gun on her hip that she controls with her visor. Um, and then they run through a bunch of uh, swarming enemies to try and get to the Church of the Shrike so that he can go on the pilgrimage. And um, he gets killed, but he puts his uh, his all of his data into a chip that is in her, but also he got her pregnant the night before also. That's right. Because that's why when he died and put his brain in her, it was kind of like when he came and put a child in her. That's, yeah. why, that's why you brought that up. Um... And then uh, she went to be in the in the 
pilgrimage. That's yeah, why she's here. Uh, and then the the last story as we uh, head to finally get to the Shrike is the Consul, who is like a super rich, powerful, like hegemony, uh, like governor. Basically, the Consuls are like they're all on their own planet managing things for the hegemony. Yeah. Um, and they're just rich and powerful middle managers for this uh, ter- terrible empire, basically. Um, and so the entire time he's just been like the by-the-numbers guy that we're following. Uh, and he's kind of evil and kind of swag with it. Because um, he's just like listens to... Uh, he's listening to like classical music at the start of the book as he's getting his call being like, you must go on this pilgrimage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now you find out his backstory. But it turns out... The backstory we actually get is a backstory of his dad, and we find his out granddad. he... His granddad, specifically. Okay, yes. Yes, it's his granddad. Uh, and uh, he is specifically the grandson of uh, Marin and Siri, and Marin is another, like, hegemony soldier, like he's a shipman, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Siri is, like, the... Um, like an indigenous population on a world I think called uh, uh, Maui Covenant it says here on the Wikipedia page Maui Covenant Um, uh, and they're basically a a world like they're obviously they're not an indigenous population because they are also coming from Earth but they're not part of the hegemony and they are uh, were never like part of the like you know (laughs) hegemony system before so they just have their own independent planet they've been living on trying to get well get through life uh, and uh, Siri is just like a you know woman there, and her dad's a part of the separatists fighting the hegemon because they don't want this fucking empire to come and turn their planet into it. And he's like, no, it'll be good. Like we just come and we do, and we like you know do a bunch of surveys, and then eventually we connect to the, to the net, and you can go anywhere, and anywhere can come here, and you're part of the galactic community, and that's clearly a good thing or whatever. Uh, and all of that comes true, by which he means that uh the planet is absorbed into this empire uh and just becomes a like another backdrop among a million backdrops that used to be unique worlds of people on them but have now just become uh tourist destinations for uh uh like an imperial population that is everywhere but lives nowhere with no home mm-hmm. um as culture just gets obliterated and uh swallowed into the net um i thought this stuff was like really really good and considered i was not expecting it to be so I, it was clearly like criticizing, like, oh yeah, the hegemony, the bad empire, right? I get it, but it was very specific about the ways that, like, yeah, not e- not even imperialism, because it, I mean it is imperialism, but like this isn't about material extraction necessarily. It's not about how like th- uh, America goes to other places and brings uh, oil home. I mean, there's a bit of that because I didn't mention petroleum, um, <laughs> but it's specifically about the cultural ways in which, like, even if the internet, the dream of the internet, and the post. Uh, post-scarcity communist utopia idea of Star Trek is real through the um, American or European or basically the current dominant imagination that we live in that will create a world in which everywhere is reduced to content for us all to kind of just you know live through without ever engaging with its history or its truth or the people there Uh, and I was like this is strikingly prescient and good I thought that stuff was really good also, they kill all the talking dolphins. Yeah, and, yes, also, they kill the talking dolphins. Also, also, he reveals that, like, actually, the reason that we have never met aliens is that the people who go out first and connect worlds to the web 
exterminate anything that might be a threat. So it's more than might be a threat. It's he's yeah. like, we go. It's basically he says that like we go and kill anything that could be a threat, but we kill. We decide what's a threat and what isn't. We decide yes. what isn't isn't sentient. Like we we killed them, but they were just like fauna in the way. They were just like weird animals in the way. And then basically says that's what what we did in America. But they were people. But we treated people like that. We we have as a like you know in history have proven very capable of putting obviously real humans who have these considerations in that definition of non sentient non person in order to justify this kind of violence. And mm. it is very clear that like. We have no idea the kinds of things that have been eradicated from the universe to build this world, this is like intergalactic internet of nothing. Um, it's really fucking good. Uh, but also, but he's also, horny. He's very horny. So the thing is, is that when they meet, Marin and Siri, Siri is 16 and Marin is 19. And by the time she dies of old age i think he's still like 26 or something like that because yes. he is on this ship and so he's going around at super super speeds you know space stuff so every time he visits this uh maui covenant she's aged so much more than him and so he's almost staying the same while she's like living her entire life so we get so many things of like when she was 16 her tits were like so perfect and she was like so incredibly young and beautiful and then she was 20 and she was like even more perfect because now she was like actually an adult and her tits had got even bigger and the gravity had done her like he said like gravity had done its work on her breasts and ass basically her breasts and buttocks i think he says and i was like i didn't ask mate i didn't ask i get it i understand that as this lady got older she went from uh whatever horny for teenagers you're getting please don't do that in the book to whatever horny for 20 year olds you're getting uh stop it knock it off this is the bad horny go back to having a guy's uh dick almost get knocked off <laughs> um but yeah um there's also some like was the other thing there was like that they have a flying carpets in this book that i really like that was fun um there is like a scene with like a cool duel where somebody like pulls out a sword and then the other guy has like a laser uh like um like a pen laser that like can cut through steel and he's just like turned it to the lowest setting so he's just like zapping these people shins so that they like jump up and like fall over Yes. Um, unfortunately, that guy just then just gets killed. But, um, uh, but yeah, the reveal is that was, those that was his granddad, and he's actually been like biding his time and gathering power so he can betray the hegemony uh, and work with the ousters. And he's he basically so the ousters have been they're, they're doing an invasion on Hyperion, but it's like going to take years because of how space travel works. Yeah. Um, but they're coming to Hyperion at some point. Uh. And things are going badly, and it would be bad. Like the uh, Hyperion is just one of many worlds in the Hegemony. It's not like an important one, but it is the first time that like, if if the Ousters take Hyperion, it is like portrayed as akin to like the the first time that like Rome started contracting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as the beginning of like a fall that would happen. The next book's called The Fall of Hyperion, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and he basically says that like. The hegemony and the citizens there have, like, in this, like, stagnant dream empire of this weird internet that commoditizes everything and makes it into this, like, 
well where you can be anywhere but all history uh is like violently scrubbed uh have been stagnating and failing while the ousters who are also human have been like evolving uh and figuring out new ways. we don't really get like a sense of what these new ways are because they're like beyond us but they've like found new ways to be people they've created new forms of culture that aren't just like oh we recreated earth right, right yeah. <laughs> or oh we're doing like uh more terrible books than no one likes or and stuff like that um the implication is the ousters are just like they're framed as this this threat of uh, an outsider and it's always framed as a way of like what does that mean when the empire defines uh, anything outside it as existentially threatening um but he's like no they, they are the true successors to like the dream of humanity of actually trying things and doing things in the stars uh and the empire needs to fucking burn in order for uh, humanity to keep going and he has betrayed them he's he is the one who's led them to the strike and is gonna uh end everything basically kill everyone uh, this will be like the, the start one... of the fire that kills everyone he's the one who turned on the machine that allowed the shrike to get out also yes there's the thing that he reveals but like this entire this entire thing and like situation with the shrike was engineered by him to cause this crisis that would travel across the scars and uh end basically this human empire He's he's um, a guy. He's one of my guys. <laughs> oh, he's a fucking guy. This guy's a guy. Um, hell yeah. And then he's called the consul. He's just called the consul. Uh, so once they find out that he is this uh, spy, they have some arguments about whether or not they're going to like kill him. But then they're like, well, tomorrow we're all gonna die anyway, probably. Uh, and they just have one more night where they spend a little more time hanging out and then in the morning they walk toward the time tombs and they start glowing and they start um the, all the people start singing a song from the wizard of oz because that is one of the songs that saul weintraub was like singing to his kid um yes and they're all walking side by side not in a line um toward the end of the book and that's where the book ends book doesn't have an ending the book doesn't have an ending <laughs> so i was like i wonder what what like i wonder what possible reveal they could have at the end of this book for what the shrike actually is who it's going to choose how it's going to affect uh the future what's going to happen doesn't matter get out of here come back next book because i know that, that's the other thing if it was just one book this would be an ending of like ambiguity but i know there's four books so at some point he's got to fucking answer this <laughs> fall of hyperion is published uh the next year okay and then the uh endymion is in 96 and the rise of endymion is 97 so okay so that's kind of like two pairs of two yes yeah uh yeah i i was i was like i don't know but i i found the ending interesting and it's like good and enigmatic and weird uh and all you don't actually know what happens in the strike um but also like some of these stories i felt were inc the one I really like, the, the Scholar's Tale, the part four, uh -huh. I think needs a resolution. I think it needs it more than the others. And it's a weird thing of like, I'm not necessarily interested in who the Shrike picks because I like it's all made up, right? Mm -hmm. But I am interested in the resolution of like, this person's been dealing with this religious crisis and he's going to meet God. What's God going to say? And the answer is going to be like, 
I don't know because that god is also a different kind of god for all of these people. It's all still technically the same entity. But I'm so overly invested in one short story's perspective <laughs> that I need a resolution of his Abrahamic crisis more than I need to know what's going to happen to the fucking techno core. I want to know like why. So the is there actually some weird temporal link between John Keats the poet? The poet and John Keats, the simulation of the poet, are they, like, gonna start, like, trading information? Like, the the poetry that Keats wrote in real life is influenced by this future event because of this, this connection? That's... I want to know about this robot. Tell me about the robot. He died. Yeah. Uh... I mean, like the the time the time teams are traveling backwards. Someone, uh, the the soldier does say that he's seen the time teams, and some of the people here are inside. Yeah, uh, but he doesn't reveal who, because that's part part of the seating. Like, oh, I wonder which one's going to be picked. But we know that some of them are in. At least he's. We don't know anything because I guess like everyone's stories are so uh, committed to their perspective that you could do anything literally to like fudge this. Um, we do the information we do get that isn't like contradicted yet is that uh some of them are inside there. So it's like some something happens and someone is chosen, uh, we, we would assume. But we don't know, because all we know is the time tombs are moving backwards. The other thing is that they do see in the distance at one of the last days, Hetmastine, possibly, the, the, the missing Templar. Um, he might be out there walking toward the time tombs on his own. Yeah, I mean, they need all seven of them for the thing to work. I don't know. They don't know how he is going to get there, because... There's no way he could have made the journey as fast as they did when they were on the, the ship. But we'll find out, maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah, no, I'm very curious. I'll have to read the second part at some point. Maybe we'll do it for this later. Yeah. Because um, I am invested. And I do, I like I say, I, one of these stories I thought was utterly fantastic. A few of them I thought were pretty good. Only one I thought was really not very good. Um, I hope the Shrike does not choose the fucking poet guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of already has. I mean, but they all kind of already have. I mean, he's he's writing again by the end, isn't he? Yeah. Well, there you go. But I mean, like, they're all like connected to the Shrike in some way. But I don't yeah. think that means like th- this one is is like <laughs> more worthy of the like terrible burden of the Lord of Pain. He's um, called the Lord of Pain. He's called the Lord of. This book is so good at like evocative, cool, stupid shits. Um. I love this book. This book was great. This was a wild you know, ride. Yeah, you know how we read um, C.S. Stars or whatever? Yeah. Uh, and it was fine. And you liked it more than me. But it's extremely in the, like, Mass Effect mode of everyone's, I'm working for the corporation. And you know, everything's very... It was so understood. I knew everything. I knew the entire framework of the story before anything happened. Because mm-hmm. uh, I knew exactly the lines it was playing and the bounds it was, like... Uh, operating inside and it never broke out of them whereas here i'm like anything could fucking happen oh yeah i mean the 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 worlds are all connected and you can have a different world on each side of your house and the i've been summoned to see the lord of pain uh <laughs> i just love that shit i eat it up it's so much cooler than what the fuck were the aliens even called in them they had a what was the stupid nickname they gave the aliens in a, a sea of stars the jellies the jellies the jellies get out of my sight the lord of fucking pain <laughs> jellies Oh. Uh, yeah, I really liked it too. We had a great time. What a good choice. I'm glad this panned out. I heard some very vague, like, thematic descriptors of this book, and I was like, oh, that, I'll put that on my list. I'm so glad that we read it. This was this was great. 
I'm looking at the Wikipedia page that says uh, the reception at the time. Uh, some reviewers call it a cult classic, praising Simon, uh, Simmons' well-building and character development. Some reviewers enjoyed the way the six stories we weave together. Others have criticized the fact that most of the story takes place during flashback, leaving limited room for plot advancement. That's not a criticism. The book, it's a... <laughs> Oh, I can't believe the Canterbury Tales didn't show what was going on with uh, when they got to Canterbury. It's like I understand Stan the book doesn't have an ending in some like you know it doesn't really like cohere as to what happened when they got there. Uh, but the book's a series of six short stories. That's kind of inherent to the premise of the book. You can't make that a criticism. That's not a crit. That's what it is. <laughs> um, speaking of. Books that are cool, but really dumb. That's true. What are we reading next month? We are reading Snow Crash. (laughs) We're going back to the old me. I read this for the first time when I was 17, I think. Yeah. Um, Neil Stevenson book. And um, I'm very very curious as to how this book is going to be. Yeah, me too. Um, It's been a minute since I read it. Uh, I don't yeah, know. I never read it. Yeah, it'll be fun. Um, also, a good deal shorter than some of the books we've been reading lately. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, also, a good deal shorter than Neil Stevenson's other fare. I've also read sure Rain D, which is like, I think, is longer than a Stormlight. I'm very excited. What the? Longer than a Stormlight? Stormlight's like a thousand pages, everyone. Stormlight is like 1100 to 1200. Brando! Knock it off! Uh, Reem D is. Oh, okay, it's 1056. Okay, so it's kind of in the same. It's up there. Area. But anyway, Snow Crash is not that long. I think it's like 400 pages. I think it's about as long as Hyperion. It is 480 pages. Same length as Hyperion, basically. Okay. Well, you know. I should more read a little quicker. This was kind of dense. Oh, yeah. You had to pay attention to a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. Um, and uh, I'm very excited. I, I, it goes either one or two ways. Either I genuinely like it, and it's really cool, or it's bad in a very funny way. I don't think there's a way where I don't like at least enjoy my time here, whether it's good or bad. Like I don't think it's going to piss me off or be really boring. I think yeah, it'll be... I, you're going to have a reaction one way or the other. I am going to have an enjoyable reaction, even if the quality of the book ends up being bad. I can't say either way. I could just genuinely like it. That's equally possible. Um, But I I just don't even know. Um, This is one of the reasons I'm excited about doing anomalous readings uh, every month is that I just get to fill in sci-fi books I never read. It's good fun. I don't know when I would have made time to read Hyperion if it weren't for this podcast. Yeah. I I just picked a banger. Let's hope that your next pick will be just as good. We can hope. We can, we can hope, hope that my next pick is that good. And everyone listening already knows what it is. Yeah, that's true. We um, did. We, it's exactly what it is. It's the Star Wars book you said last time. I yeah. can't escape it any longer. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't going to let us get through the first year of this podcast without doing at least one of our promised New Jedi New Order. New Jedi Order. Uh, yeah. Fine, I'm very excited. Um, what a good time. Thank you so much for joining me, Nora. Thank you. Uh, do you want to, to plug your stuff? Uh, 
yeah, if you're just listening to this, I'm at headfallsoff on twitter.com and I'm godding. Uh, I'm godding? What the fuck? I've got a lot of podcasts at abnormalmapping.com uh, that I'm usually hosting with M. Uh, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash abnormalmapping if you want to check out The Great Gundam Project for $1 a month. Uh, Blockbusters for $5 a month. We just watched Paddington and I think that episode's really good. Uh, and VoIP Life for ten dollars a month, which is about nothing. That's just a thank you for if you support us that much. That's not like a, that's not like a super mandatory podcast. We did do an E three episode recently that I think is good fun. So that's us. Uh, I got distracted. I am on Twitter and co-host as Skull Daughter, and you can find more of my podcast at exportaud.io which will take you to the patreon for export audio lots of good podcasts over there please give us money that would be great you could give us some money um i'm also on journal updated over on abnormal mapping at the second best game dot club uh this month right we're playing castlevania lords of shadow so that'll be fun castlevania lords of pain <laughs> lords of pain um which is uh, the Castlevania reboot from a few years ago that was that has the a few from thirteen years from ago, a few Nora. Years ago, <laughs> from thirteen years ago, we're old. We're old now. I literally found a bunch of like those thick white hairs in my head uh, this morning. Um, going Gandalf mode. I'm going Gandalf mode. This is the Kojima uh, Castlevania. I bet if you started going gray, you would absolutely start uh, smoking a Gandalf pipe for the bit. <laughs> 100%. I just prefer edibles to smoking, but. Not every yes. day. <laughs> <laughs> I just think you'd be like blowing a couple pipe, ring, pipe rings. And yeah. we'd, you know, just, just one time at least for the fun yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, it's true, I would. But you can catch us here next month. For Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. And uh, sign off time. Keep watching the, st- the sky. Not the stars. The sky. Ooh,